So this morning we are uh, on our final passage before we start our Easter series. Um, during Easter over the next kind of four weeks, so Easter's just around the corner, over the next four weeks we're going to be thinking about different uh, testimonies uh, around Jesus. Um, and then after Easter we're going to come back into the book of James and we're going to basically go through the rest of the book of James up until the end of June and then holiday clubs are going to start. Okay, so that's the plan for the next few months, God willing. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I've, I found myself just constantly challenged uh, by James, by this book, uh, and all that we've taken time to dig into. Uh, the challenge lies in the fact uh, that what this book is doing, what God's Word is doing, uh, is really, in effect, opening the door of our hearts to see what is going on inside. Uh, as much as we might polish the door and make it nice and shiny, we all have a potential inside of that door to have inconsistency between who we are internally and who we are externally, what we do externally. Uh, and as much as we might try and hide that from ourselves and from other people, eventually, at some point, it will catch up with us. So in light of last week, going into this week, James moves on from this subject of wisdom to the subject of peace and conflict and the importance of cultivating a genuine, God-glorifying, indwelling faith. Um, and he primarily does that through this passage by showing us what it is that we should not do, the dangers we carry of living a life that journeys towards this pathway of sin. This is what James does within our passage today. So let's just have a, a moment to, to read God's word. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to James. We're going to start in the last verse of chapter 3. So James 3.18, and then we're going to go through to James chapter 4. And verse 5, so six verses, uh, James writes this for us. He says, And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you, you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Or do you think it's without reason that the scripture says the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely? Amen. Let's just take a moment to pray. So God, this is your word. And we are your church. And we pray that, that you would speak to us. We pray that you would reveal what your word says. We pray that your word would be alive in our hearts and would transform our, our thoughts, our desires, our decision making. May you be glorified as we take time to hear. But may we also respond in spirit-filled faith as we go into this week. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's just kind of take a step back. We're going to think about James chapter 3 and verse 15, which we looked at uh, last week. And James highlights the false wisdom of envy and selfish ambition. And all that, that leads to, to put it bluntly, James says this, is earthly, it's unspiritual and demonic. We looked at this last week. So James says that false wisdom is earthly, unspiritual and demonic and in a more general sense when we speak of the evil we see all around us 
we often speak of the world, the flesh, and the devil uh, as being the three sources of evil that we encounter day after day, whether it's within ourselves or around our world. And it's important we understand this morning that the content of this verse, chapter 3 and verse 15, that's where we get that phrase, the world, the flesh, and the devil from. Um, that's a phrase that's commonly used in Christian circles, but it's also used in non-Christian circles from time to time as well. And what James then does in chapter 4, a part of what we're looking at in our passage today, is to unpack a bit more of what the world, the flesh, and the devil actually looks like as we live out our lives uh, day to day. So James begins by looking at the flesh, verses 1 to 3 in our passage this morning. He then moves on to focus on the world, verse 4. And Andrew's going to take time to look at James's focus on the devil, verse 7. So the flesh, verses 1 to 3, the world, verse 4, and the devil is what Andrew's going to look at after Easter, verse 7. So if last week was James making that bold statement, the world, the flesh, and the devil, one which I hope we're fairly familiar with now, this week is James unpacking in a bit more detail what that statement actually looks like in the ordinary circumstances of our lives. And this morning we've tied with this message an indwell in faith, and we've done so because this is where it all begins for us. Um, wh whatever we cultivate in our lives, whatever we nurture in our hearts and in our minds, whatever we focus on and think about, this is what will determine and define our days. Whatever's going on inside is going to display itself on the outside. I've said that a thousand times in this series, and it's true every single time. So much so that Solomon says this, Proverbs 4.23, Solomon says, Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. Guard your heart above all else, for it's the source of life. And we've said this on many occasions in this church and in this series, our hearts are what truly drive us, direct us. From the heart, a person speaks words. From the heart, a person's hands and feet act. From the heart, a person sets the trajectory of their entire life. It all starts inside. So let's not approach this passage this morning and assume that you know what it says, which we can so often do. We can read a passage. We can perhaps have read that passage on many occasions and we just assume we know what it says. That we have this whole subject sorted because in reality our hearts constantly go wayward. James writes this and he does so using very strong words. And as he uses strong words, in other parts of his letter, he's making this very important point. Take time to focus on what's going on on the inside. In doing this, James highlights the danger that can arise when our hearts are not in line with God's heart. So we can choose to go a certain way. We can think that's the right way. But ultimately, if it's not in line with God's heart, then we're wasting our time. And we are living contrary to God's plan and purpose. So let me just invite you this morning to take seriously what it is that James has to say to us through this passage, because it is of the utmost importance for your spiritual health. Take seriously what he has to say. It is of the utmost importance. Uh, to understand why it's important to have an indwelling faith that glorifies God and one that truly honors him, um, we're going to take time to follow the pattern of this passage. And James begins by thinking about the heart, by thinking about our sinful desires, and he then shows us how it is that this results in sinful actions. So he moves from sinful desires to sinful actions. 
And as James points out, these sinful actions very naturally lead towards sinful consequences. And all of us then contributes, according to James, to a sinful lifestyle that makes so much of what we see within our world. So sinful desire, sinful action, sinful consequences, and a sinful lifestyle. This is a pattern, this is a flow of what we find in our passage, and this is what we're going to walk through uh, this morning. And my hope and prayer is, as we walk through this, it would cause us not to, not to just focus on ourselves, it would cause us to run swiftly into the arms of Jesus in confidence that he's going to help us in the midst of what we face. So let's look at the first step, sinful desire. So James 3.18 and James 4, verse 1 and the first part of verse 2. What we discover in this passage is that James presents us here with a contrast in order to make a really important point. He contrasts verse 18 and he contrasts verse 1 in the first part of verse 2. So in the last part of chapter 3, James says, And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. And immediately after this verse, James then asks a question, or rather he asks questions, and we see this in verse 1 in the first part of verse 2. What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have. So James effectively says here, you want to be someone who displays a harvest of righteousness in your life. And I think we would all agree we want that. Deep down, we want to display a harvest of righteousness in our lives. Then James says, be that person who both internally and externally cultivates peace. You want to display a harvest of righteousness internally and externally cultivate peace. At the same time, James says at the beginning of chapter 4, you want to be someone who displays a harvest of quarreling. You want to be someone who displays a harvest of conflict in your life. Then be that person who both internally and externally cultivates sinful desire. So if, if quarreling, if conflict is your life goal, then, then cultivate sinful desire in your heart and in your mind. So you see from these verses how important desire is, how important our passions are, because this is where it starts. Whatever we welcome in, whatever you and I long for, whatever you meditate on, whatever you think about day after day, whatever you find satisfaction on the inside, that's what's going to show itself on the outside. And it will be, according to James, either a harvest of peaceful righteousness or a harvest of sinful and selfish ambition that leads to relational conflict. Relational conflict with God, relational conflict with other people. So the onus on each one of us is to check our hearts every day. God, what, what's really going on inside? And as I say that, I recognize there's almost a kind of step before that. The onus is for us to allow God to check our hearts. Because so often we deceive ourselves into thinking that everything's tickety-boo when it's not. We need God to step in and God to analyze and examine what's really going on in our hearts. Because self-deception is so strong. Truth of the matter is, that what you and I desire, what you and I prioritize, what you and I value is directly linked to what we have previously received, what we have previously taken in, what we have breathed in, what we have accepted within our lives. So the more and more we take in the things of this world, the more and more 
our desire will be for the things of this world. And the more and more we take in the things of Christ, the more and more our desire will be of Christ and the things of Christ. And you know, as I say that, I recognize, and I'm speaking to myself as well, there's perhaps a number of us who have heard that statement on many occasions or something similar to that. And as I say that, I recognize there's probably a bit of a spiritual block. If you've heard that enough times, there's probably some kind of block where it's not really connecting. You hear it in your head, but it's not reaching here in your heart. And I think there's a number of you who have heard that perhaps many times before, and you think you understand it, but in reality you don't. I think there's some of you here this morning who hear that, understand that, but you still choose to live contrary to what God's word says. Your desire is not for God. Your desire is for this world. You have deceived yourself into thinking your desire is for God, but the reality is it's not for God. And I can't change you this morning. I'm not here to change you. It's God who can change you. God and his word through his spirit. So we can rest in these words of James and we can allow the Holy Spirit to convict us. So perhaps that's you this morning. I would invite you just to be open to what it is God says through his word as we open up our hearts and our lives to his word and to the work of the Holy Spirit. That word passions that James uses here in verse 1, it's a key, it's really the key word within the verse. It's the Greek word hedony, which is where we get the word hedonism from, or hedonism. This word simply means pleasure. And it's a, it's a morally neutral word. It doesn't need to be associated with sinful living. But because we are sinful by nature, when we pursue pleasure, we often regularly pursue sinful pleasures. So it can become something that's sinful. And James says that these sinful passions are desires that wage constant war within us. So it's constant, this bombardment of sinful desire. There's a battle going on in our hearts, and the battle is whether or not we will <coughs> succumb to these sinful desires that press into our hearts. It's constant. And Peter warns us something similar in 1 Peter 2 and verse 11. It's just interesting that James says it, and Peter says something very similar. And we find this actually, there's a, a connection between what James writes and what Peter writes. We see it so clearly in James, in 1 Peter 2 and verse 11. Peter says, dear friends, I urge you, so it's not I recommend to you, is I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. And we abstain from sinful desires by checking what it is we receive day after day after day. What are we taking in in our lives? What nonsense is coming into our hearts and minds which we are allowing? So what can we take from this? Let me just highlight, in light of all we've just looked at there, I'm just going to highlight one particular lesson. And we're going to do this for each of the steps. But one particular lesson that we can take from this first step in the journey. And the lesson is this. Um, every day, lesson number one, every day there is a battle for what it is that we desire within our hearts. So every day there is a battle for what it is that we desire in our hearts. It's the first lesson. The key lesson for us from this first step is that we are at war. And what it is that we desire is directly linked to what it is that we cherish and treasure within our lives. And our desire will either be for the things of the world, the flesh and the devil, or the things of God. So just be aware of that. Let's have a, a spiritual savviness as we think about all that we might face day after day. So that's the first step. Step number two, 
Sinful desire leads to sinful action. And it's the first part of verse 2 to the, the third part of verse 2. So it's just like three out of four parts within verse 2. Uh, you desire and do not have, James says. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. Now your sinful desire, according to James, he says it leads to murder. It leads to covetousness. It leads to fighting. And it leads to a waging of wars. Now, is James being literal here? Is he actually saying that this is what will happen or this is what does happen amongst believers in a literal sense? In one sense, there is a danger for each one of us as we think about these words. We can domesticate James's words here so we can end up saying something to the effect of even though he says this word, it doesn't actually mean that word. But in another sense, the Greek word for murder for fighting, for waging war, they were also used metaphorically in the Greek as as were used metaphorically in English. So using these words in a metaphorical sense, in a sense that underlines conflict within the church, which is James's focus here, that would make sense in the context of a wider letter that James writes to a number of different churches within his time. And we see this kind of language elsewhere in the book of James and elsewhere in the New Testament. It highlights internal church conflict that isn't literal it's metaphorical in terms of these phrases these words murder waging war and this makes sense as we think about what jesus says in matthew 5 and 21 to 22 jesus highlights just the the dangers of this kind of lifestyle jesus says you have heard that it was said to our ancestors do not murder and whoever murders will be subject to judgment But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says you fool will be subject to hellfire. So there is a way in which we murder. There is a way in which we wage war. There is a way in which we fight that stems from the heart and it has this profound and significant negative impact on the life of the church. We can carry murderous thoughts. We can carry warlike desires in our heart. And it can have a huge negative impact within our own life and within the life of the church. Mottier in his commentary on James says it well. He perceives the nature of this sinful action in the lives of the churches that James is addressing here. And he says this. He says, James is not examining our inner conflicts, but the wars we wage against each other. All our desires and passions are like an armed camp within us, ready at a moment's notice to declare war against anyone who stands in the way of some personal gratification on which we have set our hearts. So it's almost like we have this armed camp within our hearts, ready to attack anyone who gets in the way of our particular gratification or desire. Sinful desire, therefore, leads to what? To sinful action. And that will, without question, have a negative impact on the life of the church. So this is serious stuff. We have to take these words of James seriously as we think about our own health, as we think about the life of the church. So the reason that you hit out at this person or that person with family, with friends, with people within the life of the church, ultimately it's because your desire's in the wrong place. You're living for something else internally. You're living for something else in your heart and it's coming out in what you say and what you do towards those around you. 
Uh, Jesus says this in Matthew 12, 33 to 37. And these are words that are so challenging for every single one of us this morning. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit will be good, or make the tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, how can you speak good things when you are evil? For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. The mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. And verse 35 is key for us this morning. A good person produces good thing, produces good things from his storeroom of good. And an evil person produces evil things from his storeroom of evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will have to give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you'll be acquitted and by your words, you'll be condemned. So challenging words for us this morning. What can we learn from all of this? How can we take these words of Jesus, of James, of Peter, and apply them directly to our lives and the strength that God provides? Well, second lesson I want us to think about, lesson two from this next step, is this, address the problem of sinful action by addressing the problem of sinful desire. So we don't address the problem of sinful action by addressing the problem of sinful action. We address the problem of sinful action by addressing the problem of desire. It starts from the inside. The words and actions of our lives are simply the fruit of our lives. And we do not change bad fruit by cleaning the outside of that bad fruit. That wouldn't make any sense whatsoever. In the same way, we do not change the words and actions of our lives by our own external means. We change the words and actions of our lives by letting God change desire. That's the root. For what it is that we receive in our lives, what it is we desire, is what it is that we will then say and do. And this leads us to the next step towards James's journey. Uh, step three, sinful consequence. Sinful consequence. So have a look at what we read in the first part. In the final part of verse two and verse three, James says this. Uh, you do not have because you do not ask. <clears throat> you ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. So the sinful consequence is this. So we have all of these sinful desires going on in our lives. This leads to sinful action. And yet, the incredible truth is, despite of all of our sinful hard work, we still lack. We still have a longing for more and more. We do not have, because we do not ask, is a clear indication there's something missing in our lives, or something that we long for. And we ask and we don't receive because we have the wrong motives and it's further support but we're trying to seek God in the wrong way for the wrong things and we don't get what it is we want because we see God as a means to an end. We see God as a means to an end rather than an end in himself. And as you think about your own sinful nature and as I've spoken about this before, is it not the case for each one of us and I include myself in this, we sin. We sin, we sin. It's not enough, so we sin some more, thinking it's going to change. Still not enough, we sin again. Still not enough, we sin. Still not enough. And the more and more that you sin, the more and more you realize this pattern of behavior is not fulfilling in the way that you hoped it would. And you become trapped in this cycle. You become a slave to sin. You have this desire for more, for more, for more. It's not fulfilling. You feel despair, discouragement, and you experience this vicious cycle. 
You lack the meaning and fulfillment that you so desperately long for because we're using the wrong means. We're trying to pursue fulfillment and using sinful means to achieve that. And this pattern of lacking, thinking that our sin behavior will meet that lack within our lives. And that lack is a genuine lack, a genuine <coughs> desire for wholeness. It carries, with it, it carries with it all sorts of different outfits. So we can put all sorts of, of different costumes as we think of a variety of different sins that we can experience. Let me just share some of these that are evident within our own lives in certain situations and among certain circumstances. Maybe you see it in how you waste your money on material things, how you spend your money. We can use our money in a sinful way and it shows that we are longing for something more and yet it never fulfills. Maybe you see it in how much food you consume, how much you want to experience some kind of fleshly satisfaction in the food that you have. Perhaps you see it in how you waste your time being mind-numbingly entertained by stuff that has no meaning or value whatsoever. Maybe you see it in the substances that you take as a way of filling a gap. Maybe you see it in the volume of alcohol you drink. Perhaps you see it in the pornography you watch. Perhaps you see it in the length of time you find yourself on your smartphone. Maybe you see it in how much of your life is consumed by image, how you appear, what things look like on the outside towards other people. Perhaps you see it in how much time you spend gossiping about other people, complaining about other people. Maybe you see it in how much you brag and boast about yourself. These are all sinful means towards an end we hope will bring fulfillment and yet it never ever fulfills. It always leads to more and more lack and that leads to more and more despair. All of these things and many more highlight our foolish understanding that something apart from our relationship with Jesus can meet that thing that's missing within our lives. So we foolishly in our sinful lives think we don't really need Jesus. We can have him here, but he doesn't need to be center of our lives. We can pursue all these things and all these things can fulfill. And when we verbalize that, it sounds like nonsense. But when we look at our lives, we can see evidence of that way of thinking day after day. This is what James would indicate through these words because we experience a spiritual lack and longing. And as James says here, we do not ask God for it. And by not asking God for it, we declare that he is not a good enough means and he is not a good enough end. And James then caveats that and he says that even if you did ask for it, you would not receive. Because what we're living for, it's not about this. It's not about relationship with God. What we're living for is horizontal. It's about all these things that are going on within our lives. So sadly, even if God has become a means to an ultimate end, the reality is he is no longer God to us. We're using God for our own personal pleasure. Uh, John Hort in his commentary in James, he says this about these words of James. He says, God bestows not gifts only, but enjoyment of them. But the enjoyment which contributes to nothing beyond itself is not what he gives in answer to prayer and petitions to him, which have no better end in view are not prayers. So if the end is the thing that God has given to you, then that's not really, that's not worship to God. God is not glorified if your ultimate end is to receive something from God. The ultimate end has to be God himself. 
God wants to bless us in various ways, but he wants to bless us so that we might know and love him in a deeper way. And so often we lose sight of that because our wrong motives dictate to his hearts that see God as someone to be used for personal gain. So lesson number three from this step is this contentment in life is a key indicator that we are living in the will of God. So if you're content, if you're content in life, then that's a, a really important evidence that you're living in God's will. If you're content, take the encouragement that you are saying to yourself, hopefully God willing, I have everything I need because I have Jesus. This should be a very useful indicator that we are living in God's will because we're openly declaring with all that we are, Christ is enough. It doesn't matter if things are going really well. It doesn't matter if, if, if this is very, very hard for me. I feel overwhelmed by this or by that. It doesn't matter if I've not received answers to prayer. Christ is still enough. Christ is still enough. So that's the third lesson. And this leads us on to the final step in James's journey, uh, which is sinful living. Have a look at verse 4 of our passage. James, James writes this, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. The more and more we live a life that's characterized by sin, the more and more we live a life that begins with sinful desire leading to sinful action that has sinful consequences, the more and more this will be, this will be a part of our lifestyle. Uh, this in turn will result in us becoming inherently sinful. And this in turn will push us deeper and deeper and deeper into the world. And it will push us further and further away from Christ. And James sees the danger that's before every single one of us. And so he uses, he uses very strong language here. He says, you adulterous people, if we pursue the world, we're adulterers. In other words, you're committing spiritual adultery when you have desires and actions that are ultimately not from or towards God. So James moves from my brothers and sisters, my dear brothers and sisters, to you adulterous people. So it's quite a step from number two to number three. Some commentators see this as one of the strongest statements in the entire New Testament. And it highlights for us that the more and more we sin, the more and more we become like the world. People will look at our lives and they won't see any difference between the non-believer and the believer. There will just be this kind of consistency between the people of the world and the people who say they're of Christ. And the more and more we live in that regard, the more and more we will become unfaithful. And as James says, the more and more we will become an enemy of God. And just take stock of that. As you sin, you are openly declaring that you're an enemy of God. That should be a great motivation to not sin. It's not just James. This is reinforced by these words from the Apostle John. 1 John 2, 15 to 16, John says this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possession is not from the Father, but is from the world. So we cannot ignore this this morning. Every day, every single day, there is a battle going on in our hearts, and it's a battle for what we treasure the most. These battles take place every single day, and these battles set the trajectory of our lives, 
either towards God or towards the things of this world. And I was really challenged um, by something that John Piper says just about this subject and shares a bit of testimony. And I think we can all relate to what it is he says here. It may not be this particular example, but we can definitely relate. Piper says this, The fight of faith is the fight for joy. I get up every morning and fight that fight. Every morning, that's my war. Am I wanting to look at Twitter before I look at Jesus? It sounds stupid, but that's how stupid sin is. Every morning, there's war in the Piper household. And it's not against my family. It's against me. So, I think we can all relate to these words. It might not be Twitter. It might be Facebook, Instagram. It can be anything. Anything in our lives that we look to first. We wake up in the morning and we think and focus on something apart from Christ. That is what we are at war with. And we have to recognize this morning, like paper, we have a fight on our hands. We're not living in peacetime. We're living at war. It's not a phony war. It's a real war. We have a fight on our hands every single day. And the choice we have to make is whether we're going to be friends with the world or we're going to be friends with Christ. And that leads us on to the final lesson. Lesson four. Our spiritual direction is determined by our spiritual vision. Our spiritual direction is determined by our spiritual vision. So we will move in the direction of what it is we fix our eyes upon. So whatever it is we look at, that will determine where we go. If you fix your eyes on Jesus, you will move in the direction of Jesus and the things of Jesus. If you fix your eyes on the world, you will move in the direction of the world and the things of the world. So let your lifestyle be determined by what you gaze at every day. These are all steps that James highlights and ultimately it leads to our sinful destruction. And James actually says something similar to this earlier in the letter in James 1. In 14 to 15, he says, But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own, it's that same word, by his own evil desire. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. And I want us to see this morning that this does not need to be the path that any of us take in life. You may hear all of this and just feel really discouraged, but we shouldn't be discouraged because we have everything we need to overcome this life of sin. It is spiritually impossible, it's spiritually possible rather, for us to be successful Christians, successful in a sense that we say no to sin and yes to Christ. So we can put a halt to a life that walks in this direction by, what, by, by repentance, we turn from our sin, and by faith, we turn to God. We turn to God. To have an indwell in faith is to have a faith that finds its deepest satisfaction in God and God alone. And that doesn't mean it's going to be easy for us. We need to fight for that every single day. The battle belongs to the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. Amen? Amen. And we can take encouragement from the fact that we worship a God who wants to be in relationship with, with us. God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die in our place for our sins. And by his death, we have life. And in his life, we can be the people he has created us to be. And the relationship that we have with God in Christ is a relationship he is deeply passionate about. And we see this in our final verse this morning in verse 5. And I'm going to read from the ESV, the English Standard Version, for this verse. Because um, there's two different interpretations of verse 5. And that's just a completely different discussion. I can chat to you afterwards if you want to talk about that. 
The VSV has a different interpretation, which I would agree with, based on all that I've, I've looked at this week. So James says in verse 5 from VSV, or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? So God yearns jealously over our spirits that God has made to dwell within us. We worship a God who is a jealous God for you and for me. It's incredible when you think about it. He wants us to want him. God wants us to want him so that we might fulfill the purpose he has given to us. When that happens, when we desire and long for God, we discover that God is made much of and God is glorified in our lives. So when we desire God, God is made much of in our lives. So you could say he did not want heaven without us. You could say that. But not because it was about us, but because it was about him. And not because he needs us, God doesn't need us, but because he wants us and he loves us. And when we see that's who he is towards you and me, that's when we start, start to understand more of who he is in terms of his character. We see the glory and the wonder of God when we see the love that he has poured out upon our lives. And when we start to see this, this should cause us to worship God for all that he is in and of himself. And this should cause us to then share this incredible God with those who have yet to encounter him. That's the essence of a Christian life. It's having an accurate picture of who God is and all of his greatness and glory. And out of that satisfaction and desire in your heart, you want to share it with other people so that they might have what you have. So if you've never known Jesus in your life before, if you've never made a step, a decision to follow him, let me ask you, what is stopping you from following him today? This is a perfect place to make a decision to follow Christ. And we would love to, to pray with you and for you. Um, but you might come to experience the love and grace of Christ in your life. Speak to me after our time today. And I would count it a privilege to pray with you in that regard. If you do know Jesus this morning, but perhaps you're just finding life really difficult. Perhaps you feel overwhelmed by something. Perhaps you're confused by something. Perhaps you need discernment and wisdom about something. So yes, we have tea and coffee, but the most important thing is that we take time to pray for one another. So if you want to be prayed for, then do speak to myself or speak to someone you know and trust who loves the Lord. And we will pray that God will give you strength and help. Don't miss out on how God might use this time. This is a precious time among saints. We often think the sacred time is from 11 o'clock to half 12. And then we have tea and coffee, the kind of non-sacred time. But fellowship is just as sacred as, as a worship time and time in a word. Perhaps this morning you need prayer for healing. We want to take seriously the command in James 5 that encourages believers to pray for one another that we might be healed. So perhaps it's an illness, an ailment, a pain. We would commit that to God and ask that by his spirit he would heal you. And in the midst of what you're facing, we commit yourself to the Lord in prayer. And this morning we also take time to come to the table. We do this every week. We come to this table and we recognize how good God has been to us. We've been thinking about an indwelling faith, about cultivating a healthy faith that glorifies God. And ultimately, we can have this kind of faith only because of the cross and only because of what Christ has done for us. It was on the night in which he was betrayed that Jesus took the bread 
And he broke the bread and he said, this is my body, which is for you. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink this cup, do so in remembrance of me. So we take this bread, Denison Baptist Church. We drink this cup, Denison Baptist Church. And as we do that, we we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. So what a privilege we have to do that today, to be able to take this bread, to drink this cup, to sing together, to have fellowship together, and to pray for one another if we feel led to pray for each other. So I invite you this morning to respond in all of these ways, to be open and expectant of what God is going to do. This is not the end of our time today. This is just the start. It's just the start. So let God work and let God lead. Let's pray. Father, we we commit uh, this time to you and we pray that that you would bless us. Lord, we want your kingdom come and your, your will be done in this time as we sing, as we take this bread and as we drink this cup, as we pray for each other and as we are just open to what it is you have to say to us through this passage. We ask, Lord, that you would bless us. We ask, Lord, that you would convict us and we pray, Lord, that such is our satisfaction in you that we just can't help but but share the good news with those who don't know you this week. I pray, Lord, that you would divinely guide us towards the right person and that we would have the right words. And Lord, that might lead them to saving faith also. So we ask that you would help us as we now sing, as we take this bread and drink this cup, and as we have fellowship and prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.